Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, What's in a Name? What's in a Name dives into the history and significance of the names of God found in the Old Testament. During this series, we'll drill down into eight of the Hebrew names for God and learn what they reveal about who God is for us. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Presents himself to a man named Gideon at a time 
in the history of Israel when peace was hard to find. You see, God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land and removed all their enemies. And they repaid God by turning to the false gods of the society that they had moved into. And this is what we read in the book of Judges chapter 6. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders of Midian and Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all of the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So in response to their cries for help, God sent an angel to a man named Gideon who was in a wine press threshing grain. And he was there because he wanted to hide himself because wine presses were built in the ground so he could get down in there and hide himself and hide the grain that he was threshing to feed his family. And the, we read in the scriptures that the Lord sends an angel and the angel says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon's shocked by the angel saying that God is with him and that he is a mighty warrior. So he, he, he pushes back a little bit. Politely, he questions why the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt and abandoned them to the Midianites. And he questions the angel about how he himself, the, the least person from his small clan, could be a mighty warrior for Israel. And at this, the Lord replies, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now, Gideon can hardly believe this. And so he asked the angel for a sign to demonstrate that it's really from the Lord God who's telling him this. And so Gideon prepares an offering for God of food and he brings it to the angel of the Lord and the angel sends a flash of fire to consume the offering. Gideon is shocked, and he cries out in fear, saying, Oh, sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, everybody understood that if you saw God face to face or an angel of the Lord, that it would definitely mean the end of your life. But this is how the Lord replies to him. It's all right. Don't be afraid. You will not die. And in response, it says, Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Now, remember in this study, uh, there are people who pronounce the Hebrew word as Yahweh for Lord or as Jehovah. So it's, we're going with Jehovah Shalom through this series. So it's important for us to realize this, that, that God comes to Gideon and tells him that he is not going to kill him. He's not going to wipe them out. He's actually going to work through him. And, and Gideon experienced the peace of God 
His anxiety is reduced so much so that he builds an altar. He says, now I'm going to call this place Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Uh, one writer sort of summarizes Gideon's story this way. God's people were in a miserable bind. They were living in the promised land without enjoying the promised blessings, the milk and honey, the wheat and barley, the peace and prosperity. And so we already read, for seven years, the Midianites swarmed over the land. They, they held them captive. But Gideon has this divine encounter. And God says, I'm going to use you. And I'm going to use you to bring peace on this land. And I'm going to make you a mighty warrior. And you're going to bring peace. And for 40 years, the Israelites had that peace because of what God did through Gideon. Now, Gideon's experience is one of many places in the Bible that teach us about where peace comes from and what the responsibility is on us to do with that peace. So let me go back to the name Jehovah Shalom and, and state the obvious. Uh, the Lord is peace. Now, besides this encounter with Gideon, God is oftentimes referred to the God of peace, particularly in the New Testament. We see time and time again, the Apostle Paul talks about God and calls him the God of peace. We're probably also familiar with an Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Isaiah where he gives the coming Messiah several messianic titles and one of them is Prince of Peace. So why is God known as the God of peace or Jehovah Shalom? Or why is Jesus known as the, as the Prince of Peace? Well, Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us something very critical in his letter to the Corinthians. This is what he writes. He says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So this means that, that God is a God of peace who brings order into chaos and takes what is out of order and puts it into order. When the author of Hebrews wrote the benediction to that letter to the Hebrews, he closed it with a blessing of what the God of peace can do to bring things into order. This is the way the benediction goes. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So think this through. While the crucifixion of Jesus initially created chaos and disorder, through that crucifixion, God reordered things, bringing Jesus back to life, bringing salvation and peace to all who would believe in Jesus that he, when he brought him back from the dead. And so God brings order and peace into our lives, and he equips those who believe in Jesus to do the will of God, which is to bring peace and order into the world so that God can work through us. This is important because we understand that, that God is Jehovah Shalom. And we'll get to the point in a moment where we talk about what God wants to do through us. But let's talk about this idea that God is Jeho Jehovah Shalom. Because that means 
not only that God is peace, but he gives us peace. King David, remember he was a shepherd boy long before he became a king. He knew this truth about God. And he writes in Psalm 29 this, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. So David knew that. David, who himself was a warrior, knew that peace, real peace, true peace, lasting peace comes from God. Let's get even more specific, okay? First of all, let's talk about this. God gives us spiritual peace. Now, by spiritual peace, I mean that God assures us about being forgiven of our sins and about being saved for eternity. He gives us peace about our eternal destinies. This is what we read in the book of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. So that means this, that that we've been justified not by anything we do, but by what Jesus did on our behalf. And when we believe in him, when we say, I believe what Jesus did for me, that means that we understand that he is the one who brings us this eternal spiritual peace, that it's not by our good works, it's not by our good deeds, it's by the work of Jesus on the cross that those who believe in him are saved for eternity. So that means we can stop trying to figure out how good is good enough for God. That, That should just give you peace. You don't have to figure out how good is good enough for God You just need to believe in what he did for Jesus. And I promise you this, that when you believe in Jesus, as you begin to embrace him and let him lead you, he will transform you. The works that you do will be God-honoring good works, not to get you salvation, but because that's the fruit of faith. So by our own efforts, we could never be good enough for God, and God knew that. So he sent Jesus to pay the price, the price that you and I could never pay for our sins. So knowing that we don't have to be good enough, that's called grace. We've been given grace. Grace says you're saved by faith. And that gives us spiritual peace, knowing that our eternity is not up to us, it's up to Jesus, and he's done what needs to be done. So believe in him and receive that spiritual peace. That spiritual peace will also bring mental peace. So let's talk about mental peace. When we believe in Jesus, the Bible tells us that God sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live in us, to dwell in us, and to guide us. And and while the Holy Spirit is gentle... The Holy Spirit will not turn us into robots, making us do what we're supposed to do and not do what we're not supposed to do. We're still given free choice. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. He said, the good I know to do, I do not do. He he wrestled with his own sinfulness in Scripture. So when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, he's gentle. He doesn't turn us into a robot. But if we lean into his promptings and his nudgings, we'll discover that the Spirit of God will guide us 
into peace. And once we trust him, that gives us peace of mind. That's something only God can give. The Bible explains it this way. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit, life and peace. We want to let our minds be governed by the Spirit. Let me remind you, God gives us the Holy Spirit to live with us and in us, not because God wants something from you, but because God wants something for you. He wants to give you that peace. Now, closely connected to to mental peace is emotional peace. Earlier this year, I preached a series of messages called The Gospel and Mental Health. And in one of those messages, I unpacked what the Bible tells us about anxiety. Using a passage from the book of Philippians, I pointed out how clearly God tells us that he wants to experience emotional health and emotional peace. God wants us to live free from anxiety and stress that can debilitate us and rob us of peace. Now, that doesn't mean you'll never experience anxiety or stress But it's important that that we understand that he wants us to live in emotional peace. So let me read this scripture to you. It's it's rather prescriptive, but this is what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That verse is a promise. It's a promise that when we are anxious and when we lack emotional peace, God can help us. The promise of peace requires that we talk to God about what makes us anxious. In other words, that we we pray. Because when we pray, we're just talking to God. And when it comes to prayer with God, we need to know we can talk to God about anything and about everything. We can tell God our joys, our sorrows, our concerns, our cares, our worries, our fears. We can tell God anything. But not only does God tell us to pray to him, he also encourages us to worship him, to praise him with thankfulness. And and so the next part of that passage from Philippians continues in its prescriptive way. And it says this, finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So God's telling us through this scripture how we can experience that emotional peace. We can talk to God. We can take our request to him, but also we can praise him because, you know, the thing about praising God is that it's really hard to be anxious and stressed out when we're thinking about the blessings of God and giving him praise for those. So we see that putting this into practice gives us peace. We need to recognize 
how much God has blessed us. There's one other kind of peace that God gives us, and and I'm going to call it this discipleship peace. And this is what I take it to mean. Being a disciple of Jesus in today's world is countercultural. All right? It's not the way of the world. You know, think about it. Jesus himself never followed the status quo of the culture. He didn't embrace the, the status quo of the day. He didn't embrace the status quo of the Roman military that was in charge of everything. He didn't embrace the status quo of the politics that were both governing and religious in nature. He didn't embrace any status quo. He didn't come to build his own personal kingdom. He didn't come to fulfill his own personal agenda. He came to build the kingdom of God and he calls those who believe in him to follow him and embrace the culture of the kingdom of God and help build it. Now that means when we embrace the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world, we're going to experience some conflict as we don't embrace the status quo of a godless society. And so we will experience pushback just like Jesus and his followers experienced pushback. But following Jesus, who we call the Prince of Peace, we need to recognize that it's going to pit us against the world and those who embrace its way. And at times, that's going to feel scary and a little dangerous. But Jesus had a message then that communicates to us today. And it's a message that that we need to take to heart and embrace as we embrace the kingdom of God. This is what he said in the Gospel of John, two, two verses. He said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See that peace that he's giving his disciples? And then he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So we know that truth. We know that Jesus has overcome the world. We know that the world isn't all that there is for us. There's something better that's coming after we get our 87 years or whatever it is here on this life, on this earth. There's something far better waiting for all of us in eternity with Jesus. And that should give us peace. But in the meantime, living in this world, we need to understand something. This this is really important. As we embrace the peace of the kingdom of God, we recognize that the Lord calls us to be people of peace. At the very beginning of one of the, the first messages that Jesus preached that's recorded in scriptures, he talked to the people that were hearing that message about a vision of the kind of qualities that followers of God should embrace. And one of those qualities was summed up in this statement. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, to be makers of peace. 
The Apostle Paul writes about it this way. He said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And just, just dwell on that statement for a moment. We were called to peace. We were called to be different than the culture that's always at war about something. We were called to be to peace. And Jesus said, blessed are those who make peace. If you want to know what these scriptures mean, what it means to be called to peace, uh, the Apostle Paul fleshes that out in the book of Romans. He writes about what it looks like to be called to peace, to be peacemakers. Now, these, these verses aren't exhaustive, but, but you'll get the idea. First, he writes, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. People of peace seek to live at peace with everyone. Now, I think there's, there's a realism there that says, you know what? Sometimes there's going to be some conflicts, and you're going to have to work through them in God-honoring ways, not repaying evil for evil, being careful to do what is right, and as far as it depends on you, to live in peace. Now, a few chapters later, Paul speaks specifically to how Christians should relate to one another in the body of Christ. And, I mean, that's a sobering reality, because even in the body of Christ, even in the church, because we're humans, because humans are sinners, we're messy and sometimes even conflicts happen between brothers and sisters who believe in and follow Jesus. This is what Paul writes. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to live at peace with one another particularly in the body of Christ, and to seek mutual edification is to build one another up, to, en to encourage one another. Some of you know every year we uh, take our men on a, on a hike up at Mount Washington, and, and years ago, uh, a bunch of uh, guys brought their sons with them, and, and uh, you know, a couple of hours into our trip, we began to realize that, um, you know, some of that bro humor that guys use, you know, putting each other down and being sarcastic with each other, we began to realize that we weren't really modeling the best behavior for the, the teenage sons uh, that were there. And so we, we tried to, to create some behavior modification amongst the, the men there. So if we, if we were sarcastic to somebody or cut them down, we had to find two reasons to build them up. Just be honest with you, it sort of worked so-so, okay? But, uh, um, but it, it was the idea. It's like, you know, we really do need to be building one another up and instead of tearing one another down. And that's what we're called to do. We think this through. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to follow the Prince of Peace. That means we're called to champion the peace that he has for us amongst our brothers and sisters in the faith, but also to the rest of the world. We're supposed to lead by our example, and that means we're supposed to be peacemakers and bring that peace into every room that we enter. 
Now, we've seen today the, the theological evidence for what it means that God is Jehovah Shalom, and we've seen what that means for us, but I want to get even a little more practical. Talking about all this peace still may give you a sense of going, how do I find that peace that I long for? Anne Spangler, uh, in her book, Praying the Names of God, writes about this very question, saying, the peace we long for, uh, it only comes from God. We need the reminder because we're so easily fooled into thinking that personal security and peace lies elsewhere, in a retirement account, in a perfect relationship, in a good education, a prestigious job. And if we aren't careful, the blessings we crave may turn into desires that destroy our peace. And this is what she concludes. Real peace. Real peace comes from practicing the presence of God. Now, if you've never heard that term before, practicing the, the presence of God, let, let me just give it to you very simply. Practicing the presence of God means very simply having an ongoing conversation with God, recognizing that he's present with you in every moment of every day and, and taking that time to converse with him. Simply put, it's recognizing that, that God's with you throughout the day and you can talk to him about what's going on in your life, what you're experiencing, what you're worried about, what you're angry about, what you're upset about, as well as you see something beautiful thanking, thanking him for it, praising him for it, for the blessings, for the provision, for his presence in your life. Years ago, I saw this statement and uh, when you hear it, when you see it on the screen behind me, you'll, you'll understand it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up for our final song before I put it up there. But, but the first phrase goes this way, goes this way. No peace, excuse me, no Christ, no peace. And the second phrase is no Christ, no peace. No Christ, no peace. No Christ, no peace. So knowing Jesus means that you have a relationship with him, where you communicate with him, where you're in a relationship like any human relationship. And we're in that relationship, knowing him will give us peace. And so that's where I want to conclude this message and, and say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to start practicing the presence of God. Talk to him throughout the day. Invite him into your life and you'll begin to experience that peace. Regardless of how the day goes or the week or the month, you'll experience that peace as you practice his presence with you constantly. Now recognize there could be somebody here in the room or with us online who's never really understood what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and very simply, it means this. To recognize that Jesus came to die for your sins and that you're a sinner and so you need someone to save you for, from your sinfulness. And Jesus did that. And so he invites you to enter into a relationship with him by just saying you believe in what he's done for you. But believing in him also means that now you will begin to follow him, follow his teaching and, and live in that relationship with him. And so 
In conclusion for today's message, I'm going to start with a prayer inviting anyone to put their faith in Jesus and believe in him and start following him today. And then I'm going to pray for all of us that we would begin to practice living our days in the presence of God. So would you bow your heads with me? God, as we have gathered in this place today, we've heard about the fact that you are Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is peace. I pray for anyone who's never experienced a relationship with you, who wants to today. And if that's you, just wherever you are, here in your seats or with us online, you can pray these words silently back to God. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And today I want to follow him all of my life. And as we conclude that part of the prayer, now I'm going to pray for all of us. God, we know that you are ever present. You're with us all the time. And so we want to practice your presence. We want to spend time talking to you about what's going on, recognizing you in the beauty of nature in the provision that you give to us, taking to you our heartaches, our joys, frustrations, our anger, whatever it is, we want to practice the presence of talking to you regularly. So send your spirit to nudge us, to guide us, to encourage us to communicate to you as we walk each day with Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is our peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would encourage you, if you prayed that prayer to become a follower of Jesus today, please let us know so we can give you some free material to help you grow in that relationship. Would you please stand now as we sing our closing song? Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.